0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. I'm happy to be with you tonight. This is actually my first visit to this blessed church. And also, it is the first church in our diocese, named after the children of Bethlehem. Uh, May their prayers be with us all, and also I'm happy to be with you tonight, especially today is the first day of the fast of St. Mary, the Mother of God. May may her prayers and intercession be with all of us, and may the Lord grant us acceptable and blessed fast. Tonight, our Bible study from the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 6 starting from verse 27 and this part like is a summary of the sermon on the mountain that was mentioned in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 verse 27 but I say to you who hear love your enemies Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. So, here the Lord said, I say to you who hear. So, these commandments are given to all of us, to all that you hear. To all who pay attention what is said, to all who are actively listening to the word and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, to those who diligently hearken to Christ, and they shall find He and they will find that He has something to say to them well worth of their hearing. And the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ started by love your enemies. This is a radically new teaching. In the Old Testament it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. We never heard before our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody saying, Love your enemies. It is a very simple command to understand, but it is very difficult one to obey unless you receive a grace from the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord said love, He is not speaking about emotions. We cannot have control over our emotions but he is speaking about acts of love. As Saint Paul said, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. Then actually, when we do the acts of love, God with his grace will process this love from the mind to the heart, and my heart will start to change. I need to make the decision that I will love my enemy and I will do good to them. And when God sees me faithfully, I am doing this, then this love will be processed by the grace of the Holy Spirit from the mind, from the will, from the intellect, to the heart and to the emotions. So our Lord Jesus Christ told us exactly how to actually love our enemies. He told us do good, bless, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Three simple commandments do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Do good, bless, And pray. And here our Lord Jesus Christ recognized that we will have enemies, we will have people who will hate us. So the plan of God's kingdom takes into account real-world problems. And though we will have enemies, yet We are to respond to them in love, trusting that God will protect our cause. Many times we are concerned, lest when we show love, people will take advantage from us. But if we trust God, then we know that He will protect our cause. The love our Lord Jesus Christ told us to have for our enemies is not a warm, fuzzy feeling deep in the heart. It's not about emotions. If we wait for these emotions, we may never love them. But the love for our enemies is a love that does something to them in action quite apart from how we might feel about them. We don't have control over our feeling, but we have control over our actions. When we do our actions, God will change our feeling and our heart. He is asking us to respond in mercy and love as God responds to human weakness. Bless those who curse you means that we must speak well, of those who speak ill of us and do good to them. Not eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Verse 29. To him who strikes you on the one cheek over the other also. From him who takes away your cloak do not withhold your tunic. So here our lord is continuing to astonish us by his teaching he is teaching us that we must accept certain evils committed against us accept this not out of weakness but by our free will because we are peacemakers it's easy to repay evil with evil. But when we choose to repay evil with good, that's not easy. You cannot do it except with the grace of God. But why we choose to repay evil with good? Because we are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So, our Lord Jesus Christ in these verses presents to us Another practical way of how to love. When a person insults me, strikes you on the one cheek, we want to give them back what they give to us. And even more. If he hits me, I want to hit him back. And even more. But the Lord told us, no, we should not do this. Rather, we should patiently bear such insult and offenses not to resist an evil person who insults us this way because you will be like him and when we think how the lord jesus christ himself was insulted and spoken against as a glutton a drunk a blasphemer a madman and many many other accusation see how he lived This principal himself, when he was insulted, he never insulted back. When they cursed him, he did not curse back. This is not to be understood of any sort of evil, not of the evil of sin. When we say we need to accept certain type of evil, I'm not speaking here about the evil of sin, of bad actions, evil of false doctrine, which we are to oppose. We need to stand against these things. We need also to stand against the evil one, Satan. Satan has to be resisted. But the evil man, he is a victim of Satan. And actually, we need to bear the weakness of the evil person, praying for him that God may give him repentance. So we must not render evil for evil or repay him in the same way as we read in James chapter 5 Verse 6. Another example he told us, if anyone took your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. It is wise rather to surrender more than is demanded. If he demands my cloak, I will give my cloak and my tunic. Why? This means I am giving willingly and out of love, not because I cannot defend myself. And by doing this, you will not disturb the calm of your own spirit when you argue or dispute or debate. You will live in peace. A person was possessed with demons. And they took him to one of the elders who God gave him the grace of casting out demons. So the Satan got angry and made the person who was possessed with demon to slap the, this elder on his face. So this elder, he turned the other cheek exactly like what our Lord Jesus Christ told us. And guess what? What happened? The demon innocently departed from this person because he could not take the humbleness of this elder when he turned the other cheek. And in our time uh, when one of the, uh, the Shi'ukh was insulting the Christian all the time on the media and making fun of our Gospel and our Bible, and when he got sick and was hospitalized in one of the hospitals in, uh, in London, and His Holiness Pope, Shinoda, sent a bishop and two priests to ask about this sheikh. He could not actually believe how after insulting us for so many years, when he is getting sick and ill, the Christians are asking about him and wishing him good health. This love in action changed him completely and when he returned back to Cairo Cairo he went from the airport to the cathedral to actually thank his holiness pope shenouda and from this moment until he passed away he never actually speak against christian again never and he said to the media from now you will see a change in the media in Egypt. That is the power of love. That is the power of forgiveness. That is the power of blessing those who curse us and praying for those who spitefully use us. Verse 30, Then the Lord said, Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away Your goods do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Give to everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, friend or enemy, believer or unbeliever, a good or a bad man, worthy or unworthy, deserving or not, Take, give, give from your arms. Give food or money. Give it freely, readily, cheerfully, according to your abilities, abundantly, and as the necessity of the object requires. What the Lord incalculated here was that broad, Unselfish generosity, which acts as though it really believed those other beautiful words of Jesus Christ. So, here the Lord is teaching us how to be generous with everybody. Uh, This reminds me with the word that was mentioned in the book of Acts about the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And verse 31, which says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also to do them likewise. We call this a golden rule, or the golden rule. Why? Many times people ask, How can I treat this person? When this person treats me this way, how can I treat him back? If you don't know the answer, just switch the rules. Put yourself in his place and ask yourself, how if I, I am in his place, how I like to be treated? And then do treat him this way. That's the golden rule. It is the principle of Reprosity. This actually sums up all moral and ethical requirement of men who live in society as the citizens of the kingdom of God. Christianity actually demands from us a standard that super that surpasses what's normally expected. Why? Because we have the grace of the Holy Spirit. Since we have the grace of the Holy Spirit, then we are expected to behave in a behavior that actually surpasses the normal behavior. That's the behavior of the citizens of the kingdom of God. and our Lord Jesus Christ urged us, his followers, to pursue a lifestyle that demonstrates God's mercy to everyone. These are hard lessons to human beings who did not receive the grace of the Holy Spirit. But if we are thoroughly grounded in our faith and in Christ's love, then he will make his commandment easy for us to do by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And when he told us, as you want people to do to you, do it to them, he is emphasizing the necessity for the subject to depend wholly on the Holy Spirit. So we need to depend wholly on the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do it. verse 32 But if you love those who love you what created is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you what created is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back What credit is that to you? For even sinners lent to sinners to receive as much back. So here the Lord told us, if uh, you don't follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, but merely you return the love that's given to you. If somebody give me, I will give him. If he does good to me, I will do good to him. If he lends me, I will lend him back. And I will lend to those I am sure I will receive back from them. Here the Lord told us, everybody, Christian or non-Christian, does the same. But you are the citizen of the kingdom of God. You should be different. We should expect the character, our character, to be different than the character of the people of the world. Our Lord has little regard for one of the highest innocence of natural virtue. This natural virtue is common for everyone. Anybody in the world loves those who love him. We, We can return love for love. But he wants us actually to imitate him. He told us, for even sinners do the same. Even sinners ungodly, they return love for love. So even this doesn't deserve thanks or gratitude. Everybody does it. Uh, And by saying sinners, he said, these people who do not regard God at all, they return love for love. Returning good for good and evil for evil. This is the ordinary rule of man. But people actually, some people are worse sinners. They return evil for good. When you do good to them, they repay you with evil. That's more wicked and more evil and more ungodly. But what about returning good for evil? People do evil to you and you repay them with good. That's divine. That's what expected from us, the Christian, the citizen of the kingdom of God. And when we give, it should not be with strings attached. True service involves a giving that does not demand a giving back. When I help somebody, I'm not helping him because he will help me back. I I help and I serve others, not expecting anything in return back. That's Christianity. Our Lord Jesus Christ calls for works that demonstrate love, good deeds, giving and lending to those in need. God's children should bear the permanent lasting step of his moral character. So we be like him, imitate him. He is loving, he is gracious, he is generous, even to his enemies, and we should be like him. We should have this stamp on us. Notice these three verbs, love, do good, lend, are not suggestions, or highly recommendation by God, but these are commandments. When he told us, love your enemies, in, in verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. These are not recommendations, not suggestions, these are commandments. God is commanding us to love our enemies, to do good and to lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. So here God promised us that he will bless us in our earthly substance here, and also in heaven if we do these three things, to love our enemies, to lend, and to do good to those who hate us. As God is ever willing to give all necessary help and support to those who are unthankful and evil, so his followers just should be like him, being influenced by the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, then his followers are easy to be asked and are at all times ready to contribute to the uttermost of their power to relieve or remove miseries of the distressed. And when we are merciful and compassionate, Actually, a merciful or compassionate man easily forgets injury. Why sometimes when somebody hurts me, I cannot forget it for years? Because I'm not uh, a merciful or a compassionate person. I am prideful. I'm arrogant. But a merciful or a compassionate man easily forgets injuries. Pardons those or others without being asked does not permit repeated returns of ingratitude to discourage him from doing good. So if I helped someone several times but he did not show gratitude, this will never stop me from helping him and again and again and again. Even to the unthankful and to the unholy like our Heavenly Father who is actually giving and merciful and compassionate to the unthankful and to the unholy. Verse 37 Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. With this commandment judge not Jesus warned us against passing judgment upon others. Because when we do so we will be judged in, with the same measure in a similar manner. This verse is most popular among people who do not know the Bible well. What do I mean by this? When actually I came to America, two words I heard frequently, especially from the younger generation, don't judge and it is not fair. It's unfair. And as if God wants us to be blind, without discernment, as if Christ, when he said don't judge, he is commanding A universal acceptance of any lifestyle or teaching. But no, the Lord Jesus Christ told us you will know the false teachers from their fruits. By their fruits, you will know them. So He wants us to make assessment to discern between good and evil between godly lifestyle and evil uh, lifestyle. Actually, in Hebrews chapter 5, St. Paul said, discernment between good and evil is a sign of spiritual maturity. Those who are spiritually mature can discern between good and evil. When St. Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals, doesn't this imply that I should make assessment and I say, this, bad co- this is bad company, and I should stay away from bad company? Because bad company corrupts good morals? So when you say to somebody, this is bad company, you should not accompany them. Most commonly they will tell you, don't judge. Or when you tell them, Don't follow these teachers. These are false teachers. These are teaching wrong doctrine. They will tell you don't judge. But this is misinterpretation of this verse. The Lord did not mean at all that we accept any teaching, any lifestyle. Yes, Christians are called to show unconditional love to everybody but we are not called to unconditional approval. Again, we are called to show unconditional love, but we are not called to show unconditional approval. We can love people who do things that we don't approve, but we should not imitate them or follow them Or accompany them. We should be separate. Because there is no fellowship between light and darkness. That's what the the Bible teaches us. Then the Lord expanded the idea beyond simply judging others. He told us, don't condemn. And to freely forgive. What's the difference between judgment and condemnation? Judgment when you say this person is a bad person. Condemnation when you say this person deserves to go to the lake of fire. Here you are passing condemnation on him. As if you are God and you are deciding now who will go to heaven and who will not. But. That's why the Lord asked us to freely, unconditionally forgive. That is what Christians should do. Then in verse 38, he told us, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. pressed down. Shaken together. And running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I like how he described it here, the blessing we receive. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. And he promised us that with the same measure, it will be given to us. So the image here points to a measure of grain, so pressed and shaken, that it could hold no more and now start to run over. God will measure unto us according to the same measure we use for others. As we judge others, God will judge us. As we forgive others, God will forgive us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. As we condemn others, God will condemn me. As we are merciful to others, God will be merciful to me with the same measure. So, it will will work for your advantage when you forgive, when you give, when you let go, when you don't judge, when you don't condemn. This is a powerful motivation for us, to be generous with love, forgiveness, doing good to others. If you want more of these things, If you want more from the love of God and forgiveness and goodness, then give more to the others and you will receive. The disciples of Christ are known that they are givers rather than judges. We, We are givers rather than judges. Generosity Limitless kindness to all, saint and sinner, this actually is actually the character of the children of God. And we cannot outgive God. You cannot make God indebted to you. Once you give, God will give you and reward you abundantly. He will return more to us in one way or another, more than we give to Him. And this is actually the experience of many people. Verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? So, this appears to have been a general proverb, can a blind lead a blind, to signify that a man cannot teach what he doesn't understand, or what he is lacking. If I'm lacking forgiveness, I cannot teach forgiveness. So, this is strictly true in spiritual matters. A man who is not illuminated from above is incapable of judging concerning spiritual things and wholly unfit to be a guide to others. If I'm not illuminated with the Holy Spirit, I cannot be... A guide or a director to others. Is it possible that a person who is covered with the thickest darkness of hatred, unforgiveness, greediness, can this man dare to judge the state of others or attempt to lead them in a path that he is totally ignorant of? If I am blind I cannot lead a blind person. Uh, And if such a person tried to do an assessment, this assessment will be foolishness, because of his blindness. And when a blind leads a blind, he will not endanger his own soul. But he and the person whom he is leading, both of them will fall into the ditch of perdition. Everyone who is thoroughly instructed in divine things and illuminated by the Holy Spirit who has his heart united to God. So, everyone who has in him uh, the mind that was in Christ, if I have the mind of Christ, although I cannot be above my teacher Christ, but I will be like him. I will be holy. I'll be harmless. I'll be undefiled. Christ is the only one who is perfectly holy. Perfectly harmless, perfectly undefiled, perfectly separate from the sinners. That's why the Lord said in verse 40 A disciple is not above his teacher. Yes, we may follow, may imitate our Lord Jesus Christ, but we will never be above him. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So we will never be above our teacher, but we be similar to him. So those who put themselves under the direction of Christ will be like him. But those who put themselves under the guidance of ignorant or blind will perish with them. For example, the scribes and Pharisees, they were blinded with pride, prejudice. Can they lead blind people to the right way? No, both of them will fall into ditch. Then the last verse in uh, two verses. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, brother, Let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Those who are led by the standards of the world, the common opinion of the world, they are blind. And unfortunately nowadays, because many, especially youth, but many people even from adults, they spend most of their time on the social media. So the social media, what opinion in the social media became their Bible, became their truth. They are brainwashed, but what is written there So they became blind. And if they follow wrong opinions or wrong leaders, then they are led by blind. And both of them will fall into ditch, will sit in darkness. Those that ignorantly follow the multitude to do evil, follow what's common right now. Follow the blind in the broad way that leads to destruction. They will be destroyed by them. So, the Lord here wants us to follow His example. In His work on earth, He taught, but He did not judge. So, we need actually to teach, to let our light shine. As He said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. But don't judge. Don't say, let me remove this pick from your own eye. And while we have plank in your own eye. So, by judging others as if we are saying we are above our Master, our master refrained from judging others, so why we judge others? That's why he said the disciple is not above his masters. And the followers of Christ cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master. If our Lord Jesus Christ was mistreated in the world, we are not above him, we are not better than him, so when we are mistreated, we should not be surprised. So we should not promise ourselves as followers of Christ more honor or pleasure than the Lord Jesus Christ had. And we should not aim at worldly showness or magnificence while our Lord Jesus Christ did not have. Everyone that would show himself a disciple, let him be as his master, dead to the world and to everything in the world as our master, Jesus Christ, was. Let us live a life of labor, self-denial, as our master said, dead. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He made himself servant of all. So let us toil, do good, to others as much as we can, then we'll be complete disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here the Lord, through the figure of spick and plank, he told us that in general we are tolerant to our own sins, but we cannot or we don't show tolerance to the weaknesses of others. So, literally, maybe my brother has a speck in his own eyes. And I, I am blind because I have plank in my own eye. But instead of regarding this plank, I'm judging my brother for the speck in his own eye. Definitely, in the physical eye, you can have speck, but you cannot have plank. But the Lord used this exaggerated picture to make his message easier to understand and more memorable. Uh, so, can you imagine if you have a in your eyes, it will bother you, and your eye will get red. So how can I have plank in my eye and I don't realize it? This is because I am totally blind to my own sins, to my own weaknesses. So, I am blind even to the obvious fault and obvious sins in myself. So, any attempt, attempt to correct others, this means I'm hypocrite. That's why the Lord said, hypocrite. How I am blind to a greater fault while I am trying to correct a small fault in my brother. Uh, Jesus did not say that it was wrong for us to help our brother with the speck in his eyes. But he said, before trying to help your brother with the speck in his eyes, first you need to remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will be able to remove the speck or to help your other to remove the speck from his eyes. verse 43 For a good tree does not bear bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit for every tree is known by its own fruit for men do not gather figs from thorns nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So in the Sermon on the Mountain, the Lord Jesus Christ used this parable to descend between true and false prophets. In the Old Testament, there were true prophets, like Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and also there were false prophets who said to like Zedekiah during the time of Jeremiah, God is telling to you peace, 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 and at the end they went to the captivity. And also in Jesus' time, there were true and false disciples. And in the end of times, there will be true and false teachers. So, in relating this teaching to the one on the blind guide, how can we recognize the true child of God who is guide to others? We can actually assess this by the quality of his deeds, by the fruits, by the good works of his life by his compassion, by his mercy, by his charitable deeds to the poor, by his forgiving heart. So a tree is known either to be good or bad by its fruit. In the same way, a man is known to be either good or bad by his words and his deeds. Good tree, a person who is living like Christ, cannot bring forth corrupt fruit like of severe judgment and condemnation. But a rotten tree of hypocrisy, like the scribes and Pharisees, cannot bring forth the good fruit of the power to reform and purify the lives of others. So the fruit is the inevitable result of who we are. The heart was seen as the true essence of a person of good and evil. Because out of the abundance of heart, we, we, we speak. So the heart is the essence of a person for good or evil. It is the seed of our moral personality. If the fruit is good, you may conclude that the tree is good, holy, heavenly. Uh, although always you cannot know how the heart looks like, but from the fruit you can tell to a measure extent how the heart looks like. We read in Isaiah 32, verse 6, foolish person will speak foolishness, and in 1 Samuel 24 13, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. So, the malicious accusation of the scribes and Pharisees revealed the malice and evil in their heart. It is their rotten fruit that identifies them as evil. They are looking for sin in Jesus when there is much sin evident in their life. Jesus is sinless, separate from sinners, but they were looking for sin in his life. When the love of God reigns in my heart and denominates me, then I will be a good man, and this love will be a good treasure from which I will bring forth goodness. But where the love of the world and the flesh reigns in my heart, then I have evil treasure in my heart. And out of this evil treasure, I will bring forth evil. Verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? If we call him Lord, then he's our master. Then we should be obedient to him and complying to him. That's why he said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently again at that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So the people he is warning us when we say, Lord, Lord, yet our spiritual life has nothing to do with him. So we call him Lord, Lord. But our spiritual life does not reflect who are his children. They go to church, fulfill some daily religious duties, but they sin against God and man, as any other person in the world does. So it is not enough to hear the word of Christ, but we must do them. Not enough to confess my relationship to him by saying I'm Christian, I'm his servant but I have to make conscience of obeying him Uh, as if we are cheating ourselves and we're cheating God if we say we are Christian we serve him and we listen to his saying but without doing them That's we are deceiving and cheating ourselves. That's why he said, whoever comes to me, uh, whoever comes to me should surrender to me. Whoever hears my saying is my disciple. Whoever does them actually will show obedience. So here there are three simple points. Come to me means we come to him in submission, in surrendering. Hear Him, because you are His disciple. Do them who are obedient. So these are three simple steps required from those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ in wisdom and truth. To come to Him, to listen to Him, to obey Him. Come, listen, and obey. Whoever comes to me hears my voice and does them. Then the Lord is giving the illustration of two builders. Each house is built you know the same from outside. They look exactly like each other. But the foundation that's hidden is different. But the foundation actually is the only Proof of the storm whether this house will fall or will stand. So, if you come to Christ, listen to him, do his word, you build your house on a strong foundation. Because you are building your house on the teaching of Christ. This is firm foundation of faith. But if you hear and you don't do then you are building your house on the sand. Then, when adversity comes, your faith, if it's built on, on sand, will collapse and fall. But if you build on the rock of faith, it will stand. The wise man dug deep, so, brings out toil and labor, which it's our Fighting the good fight to lay the foundation. Dugging deep means we need to go to fight the good fight. But the foundation that just we take the easy way, the broad way, it will fall during the time of adversity. If we did not build good foundation, it will be shaken. Here on earth and in the second coming of Christ. But if we still have time and if we still have life and we're still alive, even if my house falls right now, I have the time to dig deep and build my house on the rock. But if I after i die it is not it's too late that's why it's better to test the foundation of our life now rather than wait to the judgment day when it is too late to change anything time and a storm of life will prove the strength of your foundation even when it is hidden how you deal with adversity how you deal with hardship when you go through difficult times This actually will tell you about your faith, and your foundation. Whether you have good foundation or not. If any difficult time start to shake your faith, then all what you're building was on earth, on sand. But, when there is difficult time, and you are strong in your faith, then you are building your house on the rock. Like the martyrs of Libya, for example. This hard time. Proved that their house was built on a strong foundation. We may be surprised when we see how, who has truly built a bond, good foundation, Maybe some houses, some people who believe they built their house on true foundation, but at the time of hardship, will be surprised for the second coming of Christ. The Lord said about the destruction of the houses on the sand. He said, the ruin of that house was great. So, it's only that, and maybe some people, he say, they say, why the Lord, it was great. It's only just one person, one human being was destroyed. But he reminds us how even one soul will bring great sorrow to the heart of God. He left the 99 to search for one lost sheep. So our Lord Jesus Christ, in closing his discourse, leaves us under the impression of this thought that if we don't take care of our foundation, then the ruin of this house is great. Uh, so let everyone know that this disaster uh, might be ours if we are hypoc- hypocrites or inconsistent or building our houses on sand, not on good foundation of This actually concludes our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 6. Glory be to God forever and ever.